Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing, the Bundesliga podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host, Manuel Feit, and you know, I'm super excited to do this because it's been an extremely busy week, an extremely busy day. Um, Full-time job, of course, at Transfermarkt, doing all the major league soccer market value updates, covering MLS Decision Day, um, being on the road again, traveling, and I just need... A short break talking about German football and I'm just so happy I, I can take a few minutes out of my day to do just that and I'm glad that Stefan Bienkowski is uh, here as well to ch chat to me about German football because I know Stefan you're probably extremely busy as well with whatever's going on in your life and this is just like a short little like zen cast thing <laughs> going on here where we can just talk about German football vent a little bit discuss what's going on and there's lots of stuff going on so here we are how's it going? Yeah, very well. I mean, I think we both have very similar jobs to an extent. Uh, so it is nice to kind of take a break from time to time, talk some Bundesliga, have a chat, um, have a, make a few jokes, hopefully entertain some people as well, uh, because that's what it's all about. At the end of the day, it's supposed to be a league that entertains, even if Bayern Munich do their best to ruin that. But we still enjoy it. <laughs> Actually, that's a lie. Even if Dortmund do their best to ruin it, that's, that's more accurate. <laughs> Yeah, I actually think the culprit right now is Dortmund because I think the rest of the league is doing their very best to make it interesting. And, um, you know, we're only going to touch briefly on Bayern Munich, I think, this week because they get a lot of attention and they are a brilliant side. They're probably the best club side in the world. Who are we kidding? And they play some amazing football. And I thought Freiburg did their very best to keep it close and mm. probably maybe could have taken two points off Bayern Munich. Yeah. Not that it would have mattered because Dortmund in their very best um, or very worst at the moment are losing to Leipzig. A, a team that we're going to talk about and should probably talk about first because Jesse Marsh, Leipzig are up in fifth, didn't, did not have a great start, Stefan. And, you know, you have to give Jesse a lot of credit. Um, there's a big article in Kicker on Monday um, about how he's turned things around, working with some of the senior players at the club. And he had some real struggles to start the season, probably underestimating this competition a little bit. And he's really turned things around, hasn't he? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's probably quite hard to tell exactly where he did it. I mean, you could definitely look on paper uh, and say, well, that's when the results started going better because, I mean, okay, sure, maybe you could go all the way back to that 1-1 draw with Cologne. Um, and then obviously they thumped uh, Hertha Berlin 6-0. Um, but, you know, I, the games that have kind of made me kind of sit up and notice and think something maybe has changed here are actually the matches against PSG. Um, because even though, even though they lost the first uh, encounter 3-2 and then, you know, they ended up having to claw back a last-minute goal, I think, in the 2-2 draw, what we saw in, those both, in both those games were a team that looked far more coherent in attack 
Uh, and what really intrigued me was that um, Leipzig's XG from both those games was actually much higher than the XG had been in the Bundesliga to that point, uh, and of and also um, their conceded XG. So they're creating more chances, conceding fewer. In those two games against a PSG side that many people think should go on to kind of challenge in the Champions League, whether they're actually showing that kind of form right now is a different conversation for a different podcast. Uh, but you know, I think we saw kind of hints of what Leipzig were capable of. Obviously, the immense amount of firepower that they have, um, and I and I thought it was quite interesting that when I looked at that, when I looked at those two kind of starting livings ahead of the top spiel on Saturday, I did think, and I actually tweeted this out as well. To be fair. On paper, Leipzig had the better team. Uh, and that's basically what ended up happening in the match. Um, and Kunku, for me, possibly player of the season at the moment uh, in terms of just uh, what he does, pound for pound, what he offers a team. He, and, and, you know, there are certain players who've kind of came, who've, who've kind of grown into their roles under Marsh and, you know, as the team have gotten better. I think Nkunku has been great from day one. He was great despite Leipzig's form at the start of the season. Uh, he looked like a man on fire against Dortmund. Um, he obviously got a great goal, but he also did that fantastic best skill where he did two kind of turns and then hit the post. He was playing with Dortmund at times. He made Dortmund look very old, look very tired, look very out of ideas. And, you know, I had a lot... I was making some comments about how... You know, troubled Dortmund look, and to be fair, I had a lot of Dortmund fans saying, "Look, we have eight or nine first team players missing this game." Mm-hmm. But you know, and then maybe we can go talk about Dortmund in a minute. We can maybe stick on Leipzig for yeah. a minute. But um, yeah, there was there's a lot of issues there, and I think Leipzig could look much better now. Kind of underlined a lot of those issues. I mean, what did what yeah, did I think you, it, what did you think of Leipzig? Yeah, I think it's really interesting that um, Paulson and Forsberg seem to have taken quite a big role to sort of help Marsh settling in. Mm-hmm. And that shows leadership, right? That you say like, um, okay, this coach didn't have the best of start. A lot of dressing rooms would probably torpedo their new head coach at this point, right? And they kind of did the opposite. And that speaks volumes for the chemistry inside that dressing room, in my opinion, that players say like, no, look, this, this is a good coach and we have to help him rather than, or oh, this coach, we don't like his tactics, let's get rid of him. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's actually... That's that's a great sign. It also speaks well for Marsh, who's obviously one of the most likable char- characters in in the game. Period. He's a, he's actually a really nice guy, and it's really hard to criticize him at times because of it, um, because that's one of his biggest traits. And I think he is turning things around, and he's turning things around while also slowly actually adding the style of play figured out. Right, um, what he's done with Nkunku, and maybe we should have taken notice of that earlier, Stefan. That because Nkunku has started playing well already last year, but he's getting a lot out of this player. Um, what what very noticeable is the five goals in four Champions League games, right? He scores there every 70 minutes. Uh, five goals and five assists in 11, in 11 Bundesliga games. He is in fantastic form. And of course, that role as a center forward that he's played against Dortmund, which I thought was really interesting as well, um, should have been occupied by Andre Silva, who is not getting into the squad at the moment. And I still think there is a big role to play for Andre Silva down the stretch. I think Marsh is still sort of feeling out where, how to put this team together. Mm-hmm. I think the thing with Leipzig for me is that I, they have such an enormous potential. And I stick with my early season sentiment that on paper, they, you know, despite losing all these players that they've lost, 
I think they still have maybe a top two, maybe even a squad that can rival Bayern's. And I think it's just the gelling in process that hurt them. Mm. And it probably hurt them too much to to mount a title challenge this year. I think they will finish in the top four. They're trending in the right direction, right? I do think that Freiburg eventually will drop out of there and Wolfsburg and Leipzig will probably occupy those top four spots. I, I do think that Bayern now are going to probably run away with the title because of what's going on with Dortmund. But Leipzig have really put their, put it together. And I think that's very impressive, impressive Stefan. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I did kind of get a little excited when I was kind of watching this Leipzig side tear Dortmund apart. And when you just look at the bench that they have, I mean, you mentioned Andre Silva there. I think one of the big differences in their turning form has been Marsh deciding to just put Silva back on the bench and say, look, your time will come. But for now, I need to stick with Poulsen. I need to stick with Forsberg. I know Forsberg didn't start the game, but I have to kind of stick with these more trusted players. Nkunku is a perfect example of that, Angelino as well. Um, but what that means is, while Dortmund are having to turn to players like Reiner or even Makuku, who, let's be honest, hasn't really set things on a light since he came into the first team, which is not his fault, but you know, at the end of the day, Dortmund really maybe shouldn't be relying on this, what, 17-year-old player, um, 16-year-old player. And you look at Leipzig, they've got Andre Silva, they've got Forsberg, they've got Danny Olmo, you know... Kevin Campbell didn't even get a game. And then before, you, even after that, you got Brian Broby, who hasn't even really got going at Leipzig this season. So if you were asking me which team looked capable of maybe kind of putting together some real serious form between now and perhaps the winter break, uh, it would have to be Leipzig because despite that poor run of form, they've got so much talent in that team. If this is really the start of Marsh kind of getting his handle on this squad, um, it's really quite exciting because they do have the depth to challenge Bayern in the long run, I think. Maybe not, like you said, this season. There's maybe too much now to catch up on them. Um, but, you know, it's it's really exciting for Leipzig, I think. And I, I think it also underlines the issues that Dortmund have um, as well in terms of the depth, in terms of the players that they do or don't have, the, the, the kind of players that they're still so reliant on. Um, you know, I think, like I, like I mentioned earlier, a lot of Dortmund fans were saying to me, look, we weren't... Um, we were missing quite a lot of players, but they were. But the kind of people that stood out to me who were kind of really underperforming in that match, it wasn't wasn't Hazard at left back or even Munir, maybe right wing back, whatever. It was Mats Hummels, it was Akanji, it was Malin. These are all first team players. These are players who should be starting every week and they looked very poor. So, you know, maybe maybe you could make an argument Dortmund were just, you know, blowing out blowing a, a run out of steam. Um, because they were missing so many first-team players. But in my opinion, this is a game in which a lot of Dortmund's key players, a lot of Dortmund's senior players, didn't really step up for them. Whereas with Leipzig, they have, they've, they've almost got too many and they've got plenty of players who are happy to come off the bench and really cause some damage. Um, maybe final thought about Leipzig before we do talk about Dortmund. Um, 11 goals conceded. Four of those came against Bayern. Um, that means their second in goals conceded in the league um, together with Bayern Munich and Mainz and the only team that has conceded less goals than them is Freiburg so I, <laughs> you know when you take a look at that statistic mm-hmm. um, Marsh is really turning things around especially when you subtract those four against Bayern I think then you know you actually look at that and say hmm that's actually pretty good but yeah Dortmund and uh, I have a lot of thoughts about Borussia Dortmund and I think 
the two games against Ajax is what has me worried because I think they are the true benchmark of where this Borussia Dortmund team is. And Ajax are a top-class team at the moment in European football. You know, they they play the sort of football that Bayern Munich play, which is, of course, even more worrying for Borussia Dortmund because, of course, they played Bayern in early December. And in that form, that is going to be a bad day for German football in general because it's every, every, it's every time Bayern smash Dortmund, it's a bad day for German football, right? Because it, it gets noticed around the world and Bayern will smash Dortmund. I'm, I'm saying that right now. When they play, If they play like this, they will get absolutely destroyed. And there is some mitigating factors in the second game against Ajax. Um, and despite those mitigating factors or even especially those mitigating factors is what has me worried about the stop on side because you look at someone like Mats Hummels and Dortmund fans are going to absolutely hate me for this. I think it was definitely not a red card. That was a huge mistake by UEFA and the way they have set the benchmark for VAR, that's, that's just, that's on them. You know, the fact that they can't look at this because of the way VAR is being used in UEFA this season that's a hundred percent on them, and it should be. It should have been looked at, and it should have been overturned. It didn't. It got only got checked, right? Yeah. And that is the important. That's important here to note that VR didn't even come to play. There was a check. There was a silent check, and because you know they didn't see it as a clear and obvious error, it it got it went through, and that's a mistake. But if you're an experienced defender, one of the most important players in your team, and you choose to go into a tackle like that against a player like Antonio at the center half line, you're asking for trouble. And this is where it got to me. I make, I think maybe the red card is definitely what warranted, but an experienced defender shouldn't be going into the challenge there. Mm. And Hummels is absolutely right, uh, criticizing Antonio afterwards and saying, you know, he's a great player. He needs to learn to be a great sportsman. 100%. He's 100% correct about all of this. The Dortmund fans, they're all correct about him being upset about it. But why go on a challenge there? Why? Why do it, Stefan? And that's, I think, where my criticism is with Mats Hummels, that he put, he, he potentially put his team into a bad situation that, yes, normally he would get away with. But what if he hits a player there? Yeah. Uh, you know, I had a great conversation with someone on Twitter after the game on Saturday about this. And, you know, I think we kind of both kind of came to the same conclusion. I think it was actually quite an accurate one that with, with Hummels now, with the lack of pace um, that he has, or I guess doesn't have, I suppose, a better term, you know, what we find is that he plays so deep, and this was quite telling for the for a lot of Leipzig chances, where, you know, it usually looks like a Kanji is the one who's kind of out of place, doesn't know where he's going, but usually that's because he can't push up with Hummels because Hummels sits so deep. But then also what we tend to find with Hummels these days is that because he doesn't have the pace to maybe go out to meet a player and then follow them, he has to kind of make these 50-50 challenges because he has to either decide, Mm -hmm. he either has to decide I'm dropping deep or I have to go win that ball at the first chance. And obviously that's what happened against Ajax. I didn't personally think it was that bad of a call. I mean, maybe that'll lead to me get all sorts of abuse on Twitter from Dortmund fans but yeah. in life real, I thought it was a red yeah in, in real time I mean he, yeah. he, he, in he, real time I thought it was a red both feet off the ground uh, studs yeah. are quite high 
you know, you can you can take screenshots and argue all you want. I don't. I honestly don't really care to be honest with you. I don't really see the point making a big deal about these referee decisions. I know Dortmund are going to appeal it. And they probably will manage to appeal it. But either way, I think it's actually quite a good example of Mats Hummels's inabilities as a player at this stage in his career because he is forced to make these kind of rash challenges when he does go out to try and meet a player or he goes try does go out to meet the ball. And I think he does hold back this Dortmund team quite a lot because of that. Um, you know, I kind of made that point on Twitter. I said, you know, I, was, I thought he had a really good season last year. I thought he deserved to go to the Euros with Germany. But this time around, he's really struggling. Uh, I think I made a point in the podcast a week ago or maybe before that that you know, he hasn't really... I don't think he's finished a single game in the Bundesliga this season. Perhaps he has. Mm-hmm. Um, he obviously comes off whenever he can. As soon as Dortmund maybe got two or three goals up, he's usually the first player to come off. He's got muscle injuries. Um, sometimes when players get into these situations and the club itself and maybe the manager himself aren't willing to say, look, maybe it's time for you to... I'm, I'm not saying he has to retire. I'm not, I'm not going that far, obviously. But maybe... It's getting to the point where they have to have a very stark conversation here. Maybe Dortmund do and say, look, maybe we need to go out and find another centre-back in January to try and fix this problem because it's it does strike me as one of the key problems. I know Dortmund have an issue with replacing Haaland and I know they've got guys like Julian Brandt or Munier or whoever else like kind of, mm. and, and don't even get me started on Malin. But... <laughs> I, this does strike me as an issue that happens every single game and because Hummels is still so crucial to this team uh, it is a problem that seems to happen most weeks you know that's maybe a difference between Bayern and Dortmund there as well that Bayern Munich despite Jerome Boateng and I know there's so much going on in Boateng's life and I wish him all the best and I hope that he figures it all out um, where he's playing now in Olympic Lyon but Boateng had a really good year last year for Bayern Munich. And regardless, Bayern said, this is it. We have to move on. We have to get younger. You know, we need to bring in fresh blood. And there's growing pain with Uber Meccano. Um, You can tell me whatever you want. I know you and I basically agree on this, but anyone else, you can tell me whatever you want. Uber Meccano is not the defender that he, that he one day will become. Mm. Um, there is issues with him playing it back. And... But Bayern Munich risked that anyways. And they said, like, this is the guy that we need. And while Bayern Munich made this decision, and it was a difficult decision because they got rid of David Alaba as well, right? And they also said, like, look, sometimes you have to cut yourself in order to heal. And um, they made that call. And I think Dortmund, sometimes they're a little bit too nostalgic. Mm. And I think in this case... Hummels had a great year last year, absolutely. And he then he then went to play the Euros. And in fairness, he did did he did miss time in the summer um, with injuries, and that does hurt the player, right? And it hurts his fitness. And maybe he will turn around. But you know, Stefan, I think even if he does turn around, that hard talk might need to happen because they're not going to get a fee for him. Um, that's just the reality of it. But he does take up a lot of the salary, cool. and that salary can be used elsewhere. And I think both of us made the point that instead of bringing in another attacking player, maybe Dortmund need to bring in the defender and maybe someone not named Pongracic, you know, <laughs> um, maybe an actual useful defender. And it's difficult to replace defenders or find defenders on the market. It's not like the market is saturated with world-class defenders. It's why Bayern Munich spent 45 million euros on an unfinished product or... 
you know, a club like Manchester United spent 80 million on <laughs> Maguire, you know, <laughs> because defenders are rare. Mm. Even bad ones are expensive. And I think that's, that's where Dortmund need to really take a long, hard look at themselves. And should Haaland go? I know that's gone from 100% likely to maybe not quite so likely anymore. But should he go? I think that's where the money needs to be invested. It needs to be a defender, right? Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I think it has to happen before ha- Haaland potentially goes. If they if they have yeah. if they in the have, winter, maybe yeah, if they have twenty or thirty, I know it's not very common for German teams to do something like this. But if they have twenty, thirty million euros behind a couch somewhere, um, I would throw at a young defender in the Bundesliga. I don't know. Maybe you bring back Matthias Ginter. I don't know, uh, but some mm-hmm. something like that. Um, because even even just in terms of depth, they need they need something in there. They cannot they cannot pretend to be challenging for a Bundesliga title race with Mats Hummels in the form he's in right now and Emery Chan filling in most weeks at centre back. It's just it's it's just not a good way um, of of running a club, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think you know I, I'm gonna say a name um, or maybe two. And uh, it's Jeremiah Sanchuste and Musa Niyahate. You know, that's two defenders that I would mm. potentially target. Mm. And that's not a rumor. Please um, don't go on Twitter and say Manuel Fiat from Transfermarkt is saying Dortmund are linked with Niyahate and Sanchuste. That's just me name dropping, okay? Because <laughs> I know that in my position from where I work, <laughs> this, this turns into a rumor quickly. It's not. I haven't heard anything in that regard. I'm, it's just a suggestion. But that's what I would do if I was Dortmund. I would target one of those two guys because they play in Germany. They adjusted to the league. And uh, Mainz is a great feeder club for Borussia Dortmund. And I don't mean that in any bad way. It's just how it is, <laughs> right? And, in, and I, both those defenders would probably bring what Dortmund needed at the moment. Yeah. If I, if I could name another one, actually. We were talking about him before we started recording because mm. he pulled out of the national team. But... And he has been linked with Dortmund in the last couple of months, but I think Schlotterbeck would be yeah. a great example Good of. Call. Okay, maybe maybe he's not a top tier defender. Maybe he will. We don't know, but he's a solid Bundesliga defender. One they could probably pick up for twenty million euros or something like that. It's not going to break the bank, but he comes into that team. He's got experience in the Bundesliga. He offers he offers depth. You know, something like that. Um, he's obviously part of a very very good Freiburg side as well. Mm-hmm. So. That, that, would be, that would be my kind of recommendation. Yeah. Another name would be Leinhardt, Philipp Leinhardt from Freiburg. Again, yeah. we're yeah. just speculating, just having fun. Maybe they, should just, maybe they should just buy the Freiburg defence. That would fix things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, as I said, one of the, and, the and, best defence the best defense in the Bundesliga <laughs> at the moment. And the head coach too, possibly. Ooh. Christian Streich did say <laughs> that he can... You can never say that a transfer won't happen, but he thinks it's it's very unlikely. Uh, of course. I think he is a Freiburg. You know, they probably have to uh, carry him out of this club to make that happen. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I again, we're just, we're just having fun. We're essentially playing a uh, football manager here. Um, these are just names dropped. Um, speaking of football manager, you know when you buy a really expensive player, uh, for football manager because you have like a cheat code on and then um, you don't really need this guy but you just bought him because you fancied him <laughs> and so you just put him on wing back what do you make of that I saw that today I know we usually don't talk about the Premier League but 
You have to be a special club to put Jaden Sancho at wing back, don't you? Oh, a special club indeed. Uh, a, a very entertaining club from my point of view. You know, I, I, I am. I, I do wonder when we are, we will get to the point when Jaden Sancho is a genuine, realistic transfer target for Dortmund next summer, because Manchester United could not be doing any more to convince him that the move he made last summer was a terrible decision. And, you know, it could just be like a Shinji Kagawa situation all over again or Mario Goza to Bayern where these players move on and then a couple of years later they realise that the grass wasn't greener because mm. Jadon Sancho would be exactly what Borussia Dortmund... I know we just spent 10 minutes talking about the defence, but they could certainly use him in place of Malin. Maybe they could swap. Uh, maybe Malin could try playing wing-back at Man United. <laughs> Yeah, I think what United need is a coach. But, um, <laughs> you know, that, that will probably go a long way. Maybe Ralf Rangnick will finally fix the Red Devils. I, I, I saw that today and um, it was at six o'clock in the morning when I got up to, to double check and triple check that everything is okay before we post the, the market values. And um, I, had to, I had to actually two or three times read your tweet to make sure that that's what you actually wrote. And yeah, um, and then I had to double check it with other sources. Not that I don't trust you, Stefan. It just seems so ridiculous. And yeah, I mean, let's 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 be honest. Man United aren't nearly smart enough to hire someone like Ralph Ragnick to fix that because Ralph Ragnick probably could fix that club, mm-hmm. uh, and he could make and yeah. he, he could make Man United absolutely terrifying yeah. because you're talking about a club there that probably has the second or third highest spending power uh, in the world, if you want to put it that way. Mm. Um, but Obviously, it's just gonna run by fools at the moment. So, and he would do yeah. it, a hundred percent. He would do it. I know he has that consultancy contract with Lokomotiv Moscow, but mm-hmm. um, speaking to some people in Russia, it's quite flexible. He could do it. Um, take a role at Manchester United because the idea is that what he's sort of floating is that he would go um, and coach the club until the end of the season and then move into a director role, right? Mm. And um, he would a hundred percent do that. The question becomes, would the people that make decisions at Manchester United support that? And I think this is where, you know, I, I'm not, you, you're much closer to the Premier League than I am and to clubs like Manchester United, but Rangnick isn't an easy character. He's a great, I mean, he's probably one of the most brilliant minds in football in the world, but he's not an easy character. And he would probably throw out most people that work at United at the moment, rightfully so, in my opinion. But who wants that? Who's going to hire the guy that is going to fire you? Yeah, exactly. Um, who's going to let the fox into the chicken hen? Yeah, and that's, that, that's what needs to happen there, though, right? Absolutely, yeah. But that's, and a lot of clubs don't want to do that. Um, mm. But yeah, again, I was on, I was joking with someone on Twitter saying they should hire Ragnick and then he could bring in Ralph Hasenhutl as the head coach, and then <laughs> then we could just see how that worked. I think they'd be really good together. But obviously, could you imagine trying to explain to a Premier League fan why you would bring this guy from Moscow in to hire the Southampton manager to fix things at Man United? It, oh man, that would be a sure. scary prospect um, let's hope it never happens because my all my Manchester United supporting friends will be insufferable it's much better <laughs> that they lose all the time um, that's just I, I have nothing against Manchester United I just have a lot of insufferable Manchester United fans as friends and 
you know, as a neutral, I, it seems just that my Liverpool supporting friends are much nicer about stuff. So, uh, sorry guys, <laughs> <laughs> we're veering way off topic. We're talking about the Premier League, but I do think it's interesting. And I think the best thing that could happen in Manchester United is Ralf Rangnick to come in and fix the club. And if he does come in, I think they, they have a really interesting few months ahead of them. And it could be something that could change the club forever. Um, Let's talk about where Rangnick was mentioned, and that was the Germany job. Of course, he didn't take it, and Hansi Flick took over. And Hansi Flick, perfect start, five games, five wins, has turned a German national team that always had the quality, but never really the cohesiveness over the four years, back into a team that, in my opinion, by rights can say, we can win the World Cup. I think Germany will be one of the favorites going into the World Cup next year based only on what Hansi Flick has done. And, you know, we can talk also, we can talk about the games against Armenia and Liechtenstein, but who cares? They've qualified. Those are two glorified friendlies. So instead, I think we should talk about some of the players that have come in. And we're going to talk about the whole COVID-19 thing in a moment because it's really interesting. But before we talk about the negative, let's talk about the positive. And that's Lukas Nemcha, who comes in from Wolfsburg and... Under Florian Kofeld, I both both you and I had some reservations about Kofeld going in, but I actually think he's kind of proving us wrong in the early mm-hmm. goings. Great against Salzburg, great in the league, and he's getting a ton out of Lukas Nemcha, who I always thought had the potential. Showed it at the U twenty one. Is does is in my opinion the center forward that Germany need, and he's finally called up to the German national team. And I'm pretty sure Flick will play him because it is two glorified friendlies. I'm excited to see him for the senior team, Stefan. Yeah, I am too, actually. You know, it's really interesting the way that he has kind of just kind of slowly but surely hit the ground running at Wolfsburg and just kind of got on with doing what he does best, which is score goals. Uh, You know, I haven't... I've watched Wolfsburg quite sporadically this season, um, but to say that he's already got six goals in 15 games is quite impressive and the goal he scored at the weekend against Augsburg was tremendous it's this really powerful front post header um, and then you know he obviously did very well against Salzburg I thought that was a really interesting game because I know you're a big Adeyemi fan and I know he's, he's a good player but I actually thought in Czech kind of he, he kind of came on he kind of came into this match and he kind of stole the show I thought um, you know all the kind of lights yeah, were on Adeyemi Adeyemi had a few chances. He kind of fluffed his lines. Mm. And then this kind of other young German player kind of comes out of the shadows and ends up scoring the goal. Um, and I've just really enjoyed watching him. And I told you before we started recording, I had one kind of comparison to a former German striker. And I wonder what you think about this. Kind of reminds me a bit of Mario Gomez. Oh. In the sense, in the sense that um, you know, he's just that kind of classic number nine. He's got a bit of pace about him, but more of all, most of all, he's got that frame where he can kind of battle against centre uh, backs. He can head balls in great. But then, as we kind of also saw that goal he scored against Leverkusen a few weeks ago, he's also just a great box penalty box uh, yeah. finisher. You know, so I, I think it's. I mean, him and Veghorst up front um, for Wolfsburg are just two absolute battering rams. Uh, which is really exciting to watch, but yeah, that's that's. I don't know why that's popped into my head this season, but I've, the last couple of times I've watched him, I thought he reminds me almost like a kind of young Mario Gomez. Is that is that weird? Is that, is that a daft comparison? No, but I, I'm 
now that you mention it, it is a similar frame, isn't it? And he is very athletic, very strong. He provides the types of player that we need in Germany mm -hmm. because we don't have a player like that since Mario Gomez. And remember Euro 2016 where Germany were excellent until the semifinal against France where Gomez was out with an injury and that probably cost mm -hmm. Germany the final in that tournament. Mm -hmm. Playing with center with a proper center forward has become very important for national teams. It's it's gotten a real renaissance. And I think that was the one element that has been really missing for Germany. Because Timo Werner is not it. Um, Timo Werner is, has on his day good attacking elements, but he's not a center forward in the traditional sense. And Kai Havertz, who's been excellent in the Premier League, you know, he has all the tools to become one of the world's best players. He's not a centre forward either. We need a centre forward. We need a play guy like Karim Benzema, right? And um, Nemcha is it. I'm actually, you know, I'm going to go even further and say he is it. He is the answer to all those problems. And that's why I'm so excited that he's playing well for Wolfsburg because that's his second run in the Bundesliga and didn't quite work out so well for the first time. The center forwards need a little bit more time to develop, right? He's 22. It's not yeah. unusual for players of that size and stature to, to take a little bit more time. Um, and I say 22, he's, that's still very young. And yeah. I think he's it. It's all in on him. And that's a lot of pressure, but I think he has the tools to do it. And I think it's very exciting. And it's exciting that he emerges because we talked about Adeyemi. And you're right, I do watch Salzburg a lot. And I'm very high on Adeyemi. And I th I'm very high on the Salzburg team, period. And Wolfsburg were excellent against them. And that group looks like really exciting. It's probably the most exciting Champions League group left in terms of where it's going to finish. And um, those two players will play a very big role in determining how the group will end. And I think at Adeyemi in, in Nemcha, Germany all of a sudden has two players that we didn't have for a long time. And those two up front, it's it's actually a good question what's going to happen with Timo Werner, right, Stefan? Because all of a sudden, there's not one or one opponent a, a competitor for that position, there's two. And I think yeah. Werner might be in trouble. Yeah, possibly. I mean, I still, I'm still a big Werner fan. Uh, I think he's also been doing the business for Germany for the last kind of twelve months when he hasn't been doing it for uh, Chelsea. Now I say last twelve months, he obviously didn't get much of a shot at it in the Euros, but I still think he's got a huge amount to offer as a player. Um, you know, I think Thomas Tuchel still rates him a lot for Chelsea, um, even though he's obviously picked up injuries and things and he's not mm -hmm. going to be taking part in this international break. Another name I'd probably throw into the hat there for that kind of position is actually Kai Havertz because he's kind of developed into something of a kind of number nine for Chelsea this season because Lukaku and Werner have both been out uh, with injuries and you know, even though he is quite slight in frame and he kind of reminds me of Timothy Shamley, the <laughs> actor, um, he knows how to head a ball um, and he's quite happy to lead the line. Maybe he'll never be a kind of classic striker or a classic number nine like we, like Germany maybe need. It's maybe more like a Thomas Muller. But I, I, I'm not going to just kind of write off Werner just yet. But like you say, it's really, it's really encouraging that they have all of a sudden got maybe, what, four strikers who they can work on. I, I don't think for a second that Hansi Flick has, has, has given up on, for example, 
Werner or Havertz, and but like the way Flick does so well, he'll 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 mould youth into that just as well as he will kind of offer assurances to kind of senior players. So it's exciting. It's a lot more exciting than maybe what we were expected from Germany maybe six months ago when it really looked like they were going to go through a real dry spell up front but and they were so reliant on Thomas Müller. But now if you kind of look at the players in those attacking positions, um, even Julian Draxler, if you want to include him, which is the most bizarre call-up. Uh, yeah, it is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but going, going from a nation that basically had to beg Thomas Müller to come back and play at the Euros, you've now got four, three or four very young to medium to kind of you know mid-20s players who could all certainly do a very good job yeah I think the question is why couldn't Joachim Löw do that but I mean that answers probably more about Joachim Löw than anything else before we wrap it up um the negative about this and you know we talked about Kimmich in great lengths and He's not needed for those two games um, against Liechtenstein and Armenia. We'll be kidding. But the situation was always going to come up where COVID gets into the room, in the dressing room, and he will have to quarantine because he's not vaccinated. And that's his decision. I personally think, um, and it's it's coming to Germany because of the, the rates are very high, 2G uh, tested and um, recovered from the virus. Uh, is going to be a reality very soon there. And it's probably going to also hit clubs. So Bayern Munich might find themselves with a huge problem there because if Kimmich isn't vaccinated, you might see a similar situation in, as you have in the North American sports that players then might not feature. Aaron Rodgers comes to mind. I'm pretty sure everyone has followed that story closely. who got alternative treatment in Canada. Um, mm. I, I don't know what that is. Stefan, if anyone asks me about <laughs> alternative treatment, maybe he meant uh, AstraZeneca. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I saw something on Twitter, which I'm not sure if it was true or not, but if it is true, it just shows how stupid athletes can be sometimes. That basically he refused to get the jab, but he was happy to get it through. Uh, you know, sometimes athletes get these kind of rejuvenation treatments when. They take the blood out, they fill it with vitamins, and they put the blood back in. Uh, it's quite commonplace in European football, actually. But <laughs> he was happy to get the, va- the, vi- the, the the vaccine through that system. Oh, um, so, which I like. The, the, literally, the only difference is how it literally gets inside your body. But athletes are very superstitious people, aren't they? Yes, difficult, and of course. Um, the situation now is very difficult because four players got sent home um first of all i think there was a few interesting things in this because adiyemi apparently lives in munich because mm. um he falls under the bavarian health authorities which shows me that he lives in munich and not in salzburg of course those two cities are very close together you can all guys can all start speculating again that he's uh he's a munich boy and he lives there already so a move to buy munich is imminent that's not what i'm saying but it's interesting that he now, together with Gnabry and Musiala, and Kimmich, of course, because he's not vaccinated, he, they all have to go into two-week quarantine. Um, Kimmich isn't vaccinated. I know. I don't know the status of Adeyemi, and I know the status of the of all Bayern players. And I, I know that one of the two um, probably will be able to test themselves out of this situation. Um, this is all I'm going to say about this because, again, this is not my story and I don't have the legal authorities of Build. I, I keep watch Build. They have the list. I'm pretty sure they, maybe by the time this podcast comes out, they will say who the unvaccinated is. Um, and then we can talk about it or not. 
But it is interesting <laughs> because like uh, Kimmich has put those te- his teammates into a difficult situation, right? And they are going to miss two weeks now. Um, and I think that is that's unfortunate. And I do think that maybe Germany, you know, when they go, you can't tell the spectators we're going to two G, and then the players. I guess the players now might all get it now, so they will fall onto the two G. But Stefan, that's just maybe my final point on this. I think you can't tell spectators you can't go into the stadium unless you're vaccinated or you have recovered. And then there's players down there who are fully unvaccinated and never had the virus. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this unfortunately is maybe the worst case, well, maybe not the worst case scenario, but this is maybe the the consequence of Kimmich's, Kimmich's actions to not get vaccinated in the sense that it means that, uh, you know, it limits what he can do on an international level. And this is always going to happen for footballers that don't get vaccinated and there are still a long long list of footballers who haven't been properly vaccinated we don't know which ones they are they obviously aren't making it public the clubs are obviously doing their best to keep these things behind closed Mm. doors but you know when you are i mean maybe there are certain uh, jobs or lifestyles where you don't have to get vaccinated because you live in a hut in the middle of the woods or in the middle of the desert you, you never see people but People like Joshua Kimmich um, very literally work in teams every day in close contact with people. Yeah. And and he's doing a huge amount of travelling as well. If you just think about how much travelling footballers do, um, it's remarkable. So for him not to get vaccinated, then, you know, there's no point up debating whether he should or shouldn't or, you know, if personal choice or not. Mm-hmm. This, and it this, is a this, personal this, choice, right? I mean, yeah, at the end yeah. of the day, it is a personal choice. Exactly. Uh, yeah. But this, these are the this is these are the consequences of that yeah. decision, and that's that's it really. And I, 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 you know, I get this all the time. People telling me it's your personal choice, and it is. It is a hundred percent your personal choice to get vaccinated or not, and I hundred percent agree with that. But it's also, you know, um, at the end of the day, um, personal choices have consequences, and it is not a human right to go to a restaurant it's not a human right to go to a stadium it's not a human right to go to a cinema it's not a human right to go to a bar it's not a human right to get your hair cut believe it or not you know there is certain there is certain things that then should be off limit for a while because we're dealing with this all together and i think this is this is why i think where people sometimes get confused like it's not a right it's you don't have like you have the right not to wear a seatbelt but it doesn't mean that you're not allowed to drive the car. <laughs> yeah, you have the yeah. right not to have a driver's license. You know, um, you have the right to drive without winter tires in the winter, but then you will get a fine. It's all the same things. It's all exactly the same thing. We have regulations for all those stuff, you know, and um, at the end of the day, yes, it's your own personal choice, but every single personal choice comes with consequences. I think that's yeah, exactly. maybe my final point on this because I, I, again i don't i this will all be over one day and um then if all this stuff will be over we will all be able to go back to our normal lives without restrictions and these are these are restrictions and some people have chosen to go down a path where restrictions lift earlier for them than for others that's my take yeah. on this and um for everyone else stay healthy stefan <laughs> um, I think that's. that's, that's a, a, I was going to say it's as good a message as any to end the podcast yeah. on. Yeah, 
just stay healthy and uh we'll be back soon uh it's been 42 minutes it's been fun i enjoyed this um i'm always happy to chat with you about german football and this this took my mind off like all this work stuff unfortunately work is calling so we both need to go back to it but hey stefan this was fun um and anything you want to give a shout out before we leave uh no not really i'm now thinking maybe we should start our own manchester united podcast and just spend every just spend every episode talking about all the stupid things the club could or couldn't do that sounds sounds quite fun to me maybe we should workshop and have a good think about it over the international break yes we should that sounds like a good plan okay until then guys let's give it a wrap auf wiedersehen Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.